Welcome, welcome. You are listening to the VBAC Link podcast with Julie and Megan, and we have got a really special guest for you today. This is episode number 186, and we have Danielle with us, and Danielle is from South Africa. And in South Africa, she had her C-section and her VBAC, and South Africa, we were just chit-chatting before we started recording the podcast, and there's private and public hospitals And in the private hospitals, which is where you get the best care, the C-section rate is 76%, 76%. It's so crazy to me. And like, that's the crazy thing is it's it's where you get better care, but then where you get treated better. I know. And that private or the public hospitals, the the C-section rate is 24%. When you combine those two together, I mean, I guess it just depends on the population density like that's giving birth in each of the hospitals and so I guess I can't really come up with a an overall rate there for that country and, and maybe Danielle knows when she will share her story with us but that is very very large and Danielle had quite the battle to fight when during her pregnancies and births and deliveries but we are going to go ahead and um, let her share that with you after Megan reads a review of the week for us. Okay. This is from Brittany and it was actually on Instagram. She sent us a message on Instagram says Megan and Julie. I just wanted to thank you for your amazing podcast. I just had a VBAC of my dreams a few days ago and honestly could not have done it without the encouragement of you guys and the women who share their stories. I was hesitant in wanting a VBAC going into my second pregnancy, but you guys gave me the confidence to do it. And crazy enough, we just like today got a message from someone saying like, I'm super hesitant. I had a C-section with my first. Um, I didn't progress past a three. So my provider is telling me I'm not a good match uh, for a VBAC. I don't know what to do. Is it possible? What do I do? Um, And that's exactly, you know, what this podcast does. It does. It empowers you. It encourages you. It educates you to make the best decision, whether it be a repeat C-section or a vaginal birth. So congratulations, Brittany, on your VBAC. And we're so happy that this amazing podcast and and we could help you. And if you guys have had an experience or anything like that with the podcast, we would love to hear it. Feel free to do Apple uh, Podcasts or, like I said, Instagram, Facebook. Send us a message. We would love to read your review on a podcast someday. I love that so much. And I just want to say that whenever people say like, oh, yeah, your podcast empowered me or whatever, I'd be like, well, you had the empowerment in you all along. We may have helped you like discover it and open it up a little bit, but Mm -hmm. I like you need to own that. Like you were empowered. You did it. You took charge and we might have helped you discover that along the way, but give yourself some credit too, because you're pretty awesome. That's what, that's what I think every time I hear that. It's pretty cool. I love all our listeners and I love everybody that um, takes the time to leave a review, especially so like Megan said, if you have um, felt like the podcast has helped you on your journey, please drop us a review on Apple Podcasts or on Google or on Facebook. We would love to hear from you. You are tuned in to the VBAC Link Podcast with Julie Frankham and Megan Heaton. VBAC moms, doulas, and educators here to help you get inspired for birth after having a C-section. Together, they have created a robust VBAC preparation course along with this uplifting podcast for women who are preparing for their VBAC. Although these episodes are VBAC specific, they encourage all expectant moms to listen and educate themselves on how to avoid a cesarean from the get-go. 
The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Here are your hosts, Julie and Megan. All right, all right, all right. I'm really excited. And we know that Danielle is really excited to share her story with us as well. So Danielle from South Africa, we are really excited to have have you on. Um, Danielle is a busy mom of two little boys and she is an English teacher or she teaches English to foreign learners all over the world online. And so I think that's a really fun thing to do. And I bet you have a lot of stories on that side of thing too, but why don't you come on and share your stories with us about your birth? Hi, yes, thank you. Thank you so much for having me here. Um, okay, well, I guess I'll jump right in and share a little bit about, about my, my first birth. So um, I had a really healthy pregnancy. I carried to about 40 plus five weeks. So. Uh, quite a long pregnancy there. First sign of labor was my waters breaking. I, in a flurry, we rushed immediately to the hospital. I'd lost um, my, I'd had my bloody show. I was pretty much hooked up immediately to monitors. They confirmed I was having mouth contractions. I was in early labor. Um, and then this was in, in, the, in the night and I kind of went to sleep and thought I'd be woken up by excruciating contractions, but I wasn't. So by the morning, Labor hadn't progressed at all. Uh, I was given antibiotics because of the, you know, membranes rupturing um, and then taken to the labor ward, basically given Pitocin to augment the labor. The contractions got stronger, but they were pretty manageable. Um, When they did an internal, they they saw that I wasn't dilating past past two centimeters. The baby went into um, fetal distress and it ended up in an emergency C-section. This is, it's not an uncommon thing, um, this, this story. But yeah, it left me feeling rather upset and definitely just did not want it to go down that way. So almost immediately after I gave birth, it probably was two months after the birth, I um, came across the option of, of a VBAC. I, you know, when you're on maternity leave and you've got a baby lying on your, on your chest all day long, you kind of discover these things. And I found an amazing Facebook group and started following along and picking up all the terms and some advice and care providers. And I, I got really into it. And I knew this was, this was what I wanted to do for the, next, for the next baby. When I got pregnant a few years later, yeah, it, it wasn't exactly a planned pregnancy. It was a little bit of a surprise, um, you know, being COVID and lockdown, not really ideal situation for, for pregnancy, but nevertheless, it was a happy surprise. <laughs> Um, and then I knew immediately that I, you know, I had a lot of preparation to do, not just physically, but, you know, mentally and emotionally, because I had this dream of a VBAC that was now a reality. And I, I knew it was just time to, to go to work, you know. So the first thing I did was I contacted a doula who was recommended by a friend of mine. Um, she was pretty shocked because I, I, I called her when I was only like seven weeks pregnant. And she said to me, like, what are you doing calling me so early? But she was, she was amazing and she, she gave me some recommendations and I immediately started interviewing um, OBs um, and very quickly started to distinguish between, you know, a VBAC friendly and a VBAC tolerant OB. And I, I, I realized that unless the stars were going to perfectly align, I just wasn't going to get my VBAC in a hospital. I just, I just knew that. 
So I met with um, Sarah and Ulrika, who are the midwives of Great Expectations. They are like known as the VBAC Dream Team. And um, as, in, as it is in South Africa, there's quite a stigma about natural birth and, you know, kind of going the midwife birthing center route is um, considered a little bit reckless and, you know, kind of like the hippies do it and it's not really a common thing. So I was a little bit hesitant, but um, yeah, I went to meet with them. I also met with an OB who's very well known for being VBAC supportive, but still I had some reservations, you know, I was still very much afraid because we are, we really are conditioned here to believe that natural birth is a scary thing. It's not a safe thing here. That's, that's what we are taught. But I knew this time it was different because I knew if I wasn't happy with my caregivers that I would, I would change the setup. But after every appointment with, with this team and with these people, I just felt more and more confident and, and definitely more at ease with my decision. I knew that I was you know, surrounding myself with a really supportive VBAC team. And then I was referred by my midwives to a really wonderful woman called Sally, and she is a birth counselor and just an all-around wonderful therapist. I mean, I still have sessions with her today just to deal with all the, you know, struggles of motherhood. But we, um, we spent about nine months, yeah, working together. And, you know, because from the outside looking in, Every, everything seemed fine in my first birth and it, it was okay physically, but emotionally I was, I was traumatized by it. I really, really was. So working with Sally, it was such a big part of the preparation for me. And it was so empowering for me because I had to face, you know, a lot of heavy stuff and it was a lot of internal work. And I really am. I'm so grateful that I was able to do that and have that resource because I know there's, there's not a lot of women who do have that available to them. So we made really huge leaps forward, her and I. And of course, there were lots of speed bumps along the way, even right until the end of the pregnancy, there were some speed bumps. But it was really important for me to, to get over this trauma. And apart from that, in terms of the VBAC preparation, like I said, I was, I was all in. So I left no stone unturned. I mean, I went to an osteopath regularly. I did pelvic floor physio Spinning babies did that. I read birthing books. I read um, the Mama Bamba Way Up, which I don't know if it's available in the States, but my, my doula recommended that one. A bit of the spiritual midwifery. I was listening to oh, sulfagio frequencies on pain relief, did Epsom salt baths by candlelight. You know, you know, I was also even thinking of intentional things like, let me choose a candle that has a beautiful scent that I'm going to use in my birth. And just building up those resources that I could use in the birth and then educating myself. You know, I was reading evidence-based birth articles. I watched the documentaries like the business of giving birth. And then of course, like two months in, I came across your podcast and that for me became also just such a huge part of my therapy for, yeah, for about seven months, I would walk three to four times a week listening to this podcast laughing, crying. And I just, I resonated so much with these stories because these women, what they were saying and the feelings they were feeling, like they were my feelings too. So it, it was really such an important part of this journey for me. So yeah, I guess then fast forward to, to the VBAC itself. So this pregnancy was kind of no different. It was very healthy, thank goodness. And um, I carried quite late, you know, like I was about 40 plus six when, when he arrived. 
So we went into isolation for about two weeks before uh, the due date because of this, this was the COVID protocols. Um, and then for a few days, I was starting to lose my mucus plug a little bit. Um, the one night I started having some contractions uh, sort of late at night. Um, they were not that strong that I, I, I could kind of sleep through them. But I remember it was a Monday morning, 6 a.m. I woke up and they were still there. And, you know, you just know in your body, like, okay, something is really happening now. So I told my husband, my husband, Dane, and he took our son, Max, to school. He came home. Um, we got ready because we actually had an appointment with our midwives, just a, you know, a routine checkup. They knew what was going down. They said, come through, let's just have a look. We went there. They were happy with how everything was going. And they said, well, there's, there's no need for you to, to like check into the birth center right now. I'll go home and, and let labor take its course. And, and I really wasn't sure. I mean, should I be walking up and down the halls trying to get this going? And both them and my doula, Liz, said, it's going to happen how it's going to happen. The best thing you can actually do is just, is just rest and chill. And, and so that's what I did. So I, I lay in bed all day. I watched movies. I ate. I drank. I slept. And um, the contractions were steadily there, keeping me company all throughout the day. And I was, I was just so excited already because it just, it felt so different to the first labor um, already. And my husband was around. Uh, I told him to let, you know, the family know that things were going down. I was very specific about this though, because I didn't want really anyone sending me messages or calling me because as it is, I'm such a sort of highly strung, anxious person. And I'm always in my head. And I just knew that that pressure and those questions were going to kind of derail me. You know, it was almost like that big match temperament. I needed to go inside this bubble and just get my head right. So that's what I did. I stayed in this bubble all day, radio silence, basically. My mom came over um, around lunchtime because she was going to stay with Max when, when we were going to the birth center. And by the evening, things were definitely intensifying. I, went, I remember going downstairs and having some dinner uh, with the family. I'll never forget it was chicken soup. And I always think to myself, what a fantastic pre-birth meal that was. And then the midwives told me to, to get into the bath for about an hour in time of contractions. So that's what I did. Again, using the same candles, the same music, the same space, and just resourcing on that you know, safe space that I created throughout my whole pregnancy, which was, which was really, really helpful, I think. So my husband was putting Max to bed and my mom was with me while I was in the bath. We spoke a little bit just about random things and we just sat beside each other. You know, I squeezed her hand through all the contractions. And um, I have to say, because I think it's a rule of thumb, you don't really have the mom around when you're in labor for various reasons. But I do have to say that I think it was such an unplanned thing and it was such a lovely moment that we were able to have together for her to just be with me during this part of the labor. It was really, really special. And then, yes, the contractions were really strong at this point. Definitely, I was in active labor. So we called the midwives, told them we are ready to come. We are on the way. And at this point, I could really barely get down the stairs. It was really tough to even walk. So my mom helped us get loaded in the car. Uh, I was in the back seat, and I just remember just feeling that shift, you know, like my moans and groans were getting louder and 
bless him, Dane was playing my sort of V-back playlist that I created with all my feel-good songs. And he was trying to like amp me up, but I just, I, I, I don't think I heard anything of it. I was just in another zone. Um, when we got there, we were checked into our room. It was so beautiful, so different to the bright lights of a hospital room. It was, it's crazy. And I had to do an internal upon arrival. And um, I'd already told my midwives I didn't want any unnecessary interventions or any, sorry, um, internals, but this one I, I knew I had to do. So I was prepared for it. Um, it was really painful, by the way. I, I like, couldn't actually believe how painful it was. And we'd also agreed that I didn't want to know how far along I was or how, how many centimeters I was dilating in case it also derailed me or discouraged me. And when Sarah, my midwife, you know, finished the internal, she said, do you want to know how many centimeters? And that for me was just everything because it was like she was really talking to me, not at me, which was what I'd experienced before. And I, I just, I have so much respect for her for that, really, I do. And I said, well, I only want to know if it's good news. And she smiled and she said, you six centimeters. So I was like, so pumped and just the whole yeah. energy. <laughs> It was like so electrifying. It was really wonderful. And this was about, it was about nine o'clock in the evening, uh, more or less at this time. So I lay there, you know, my doula was there. Um, Dane was setting up the room so beautifully, again, with the candles and the same music. Everything was familiar, which was really, really what I needed. And yeah, I lay on my side. Um, that was the, the position I was most comfortable in, my left side. And he read the birth affirmations to me that I prepared. They were filling the birthing bath as things were intensifying because I definitely needed something to, to help with the pain. The whole time, you know, Dane was quite hesitant at the beginning of this whole process to have a doula in the first place. And I'm so glad that we did. And I think he was so glad we did because she drew him in in such a way that made him such a special part of this. And he, she showed him things that he, I don't think would have known, obviously, and would have noticed. I mean, how could you? You've never been at a birth before. And things like, you know, when I was leaning over the bed and I don't know what it's called, but there's that little bulge that appears on the lower back where you, it's, it's like you almost see the baby descending into the, the mom's pelvis, like just amazing things like that, that she was able to show him, which is, is really, really amazing. So, yeah, I, I was told to go and empty my bladder before I got in the birthing bath. Again, it was so painful to even walk to the toilet and walk into the birthing bath. Um, but I got in there and... My doula just helped me through all those contractions. Uh, I'll never forget, she, she kept telling me to, to open up my palms, not to clench them. And it was quite an interesting thing, just going through these contractions and just remembering to keep your palms open. And it was there that I, I really felt that, like, that transcendence. I mean, I, the one thing I didn't do was a hypnobirthing course, but um, I read about it. And it wasn't something I was aiming for, but I... I went into this really trance-like state. I really did. I mean, there were moments when Dane said to me, I, my eyes were closed pretty much the entire time, but there were moments where I, I would look at him and he said, it was like I was looking at him, but I couldn't see him. My eyes were like glazed over. So that was like such an added bonus for me because again, being such an anxious person to be able to achieve that level of like trance state was like amazing, wonderful. So... Um, I just, I couldn't get it right in the birthing bath. I couldn't get into a good position. The contractions were coming hard and fast at this point. I even remember 
saying to Sarah, the midwife, can you give me something for the pain or is there, is there anything you can give me? And she said, I think she said, darling, I need to do another internal before I give you anything. And I think I just scoffed at her because the thought of having another internal, I was like, no, no way. I'll just deal with it. So we can't, we continued no medication at all. And, um, she couldn't really get a good reading of the baby at this stage. So I think they wanted me out of the birthing bath. And almost just before I, I went out, that urge to push just hit me. Like, oh my goodness, it kind of like roared out of me. And it's, it was just this force that there was no stopping it. I just could not even believe how strong this, this urge was. But I got out of the birthing bath. I got onto the bed on my side again. And I remember my doula whispering in my ear, okay, now you've got to just listen carefully to everything Sarah's going to tell you and just follow her instructions, okay? And I said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try. I was in so much pain at this point. And I started, yeah, that urge to push just kept coming and coming. And my midwife, her procedure or her method is, is quite slow and controlled. She tries to do it in, in such a way that it is a bit slower. But my goodness, that force was like, it was bigger than me. I, I remember... Also, the doula saying, my doula is saying, um, okay, don't worry about keeping your palms open now. You clench, you bite, you do whatever you have to do to bear down. And my poor husband got the brunt of it. I was like, like clenching his neck, poor guy. And um, I, I remember kind of my hands were flailing above my head and, and both Sarah and Liz said to me, grab the inside of your thigh will like grab the back of your knee and pull your head down and, and pull that energy downwards. And my goodness, that made such a difference. And I pushed, I think it was about 40 minutes of pushing. And that's <laughs> not was, very long, not long at all. Like I said, it was just this, uh, you know, I know women in, in hospitals are sometimes told, like, don't push yet. Let's wait for the doctor. <laughs> and I don't even yes. possible. I could not have stopped it, even if I tried. I really couldn't. And he came yes. out and I was so excited that I reached down and I like, I grabbed him. The midwife was, you know, grabbing him and I was grabbing him and I, I pulled him out, like out and obviously wanting to pull him onto my chest. He had actually quite a short umbilical cord. So he only got to my stomach, but yeah, then he, he lay there. Thank goodness. He didn't need any extra medical attention. So the energy in the room, it was just so incredible. Like as I was getting cleaned up, we were all just talking and laughing and crying. And I think, you know, when you go through an experience like that with people, you know, we've been building this relationship throughout the pregnancy, but once you go through that moment, there's just this unspeakable connection that's created between you and the midwife and the doula. It's, it's really, really. Absolutely. You know, mm -hmm. and I remember just, you know, once they'd weighed him and I had a little rinse in the shower and I was lying there skin to skin with him and, and Dane grabbed my face. I remember and he, he kissed me and he said to me, you did it. You Aww. did it. He said, I just want you to remember this moment right now. You know, if ever there's something difficult or something you feel like you can't do, I just want you to remember that you did this. Hmm. And it's like, I don't think he realizes how impactful that's been for me, you know, because it was such a huge hurdle to get through. And I do, I think about it over the past year because it's almost a year since the VBAC and going through any tough, tough time where you have this uphill battle. And 
I do. I think back on those words and what he said and the experience and I, I let it fill me up, that feeling, because it's, it's truly one of the most incredible experiences I've ever had, <laughs> really. Oh, that is so amazing. I love it so much. And I love that he, like, he could see that. Like, I want you to, re- re- like, think about this and remember because yeah. it is, like, it's such an incredible moment when you say, like, you know, you go through all these experiences like leading up to having the baby and then you have the baby and it's so much deeper. And yeah, like for me, like my team, the people that were with me that day, there's not words that can describe how grateful I am for them and how much I love them and cherish them, you know? And I'm sure you feel this, you'll feel the same way forever. You know, it's just, it's so special and it's so awesome to hear that you had such a great experience. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so I wanted to talk about kind of, kind of a little bit in the beginning, we talked about like, mm. you know, how high cesarean rates are. And when you described your experience, something you kind of, I, I feel like you said this, unless I said it in my head, but you were like, this is not abnormal. Like this is, this wasn't um, um, uncommon, you know? And it's, it's kind of hard. It's kind of hard to hear that because, Mm. uh, it sucks. It sucks that it's not that uncommon. Right. And I, I hope that through time, uh, we can make not, not just be the VBAC link, but like the world can, um, make these experiences better because obviously your body was very, very capable of having a vaginal birth, but yeah, I wanted to kind of talk about some of the main reasons why a cesarean should happen. And, you know, and sometimes cesareans are very valid. They're very valid and we're grateful for cesareans, but there's a lot of the times that there are things that are said or done and, and, you know, it, it leaves question, but I wanted to kind of talk about some of the biggest things about why cesareans may happen. And one of them is failure to progress. Like you know, the cervix just isn't changing, the baby's not coming down, those types of things. And it could be for a matter of a whole bunch of different reasons, being induced too early, overwhelming the body and it not responding, scar tissue on the cervix, you know, baby water breaking early and baby not coming down, those types of things. And then there's fetal heart problems where our baby's heart rates aren't in a safe zone anymore. And so, you know, the best case is to have a cesarean malpresentation or breach, meaning babies maybe not in the best position. On a podcast that we did just a week or so ago, she talked about how, like, they confirmed right when they got there that that baby was OP, but then no one ever said or did anything about it the entire time. And then she pushed for three hours and they're like, oh, you have to have a C section, your baby's posterior, you know? And I, I'm curious, like, I wish I could observe, I wish I could come there and observe um, some of these births and kind of see what the reasons are, like, where they fit into these. Do you know any, like, based off of friends, like, what are the, oh what's some of the yeah. biggest reasons why yeah. people are having C-sections in your area? Yeah, well, I'm so glad you brought this up. This is such a big thing that I wanted to discuss because it's happening so much here in South Africa and even 
moms that I know have reached out to me because they know that I had a feedback and they've recently had emergency C-sections. They didn't want them. They were led to believe it was the safer and better option. And they're like, you know, why has this happened to me? So this is such a big part of why I wanted to share my story too. And I really hope that it can reach some people. So maybe just to give you a bit more about what's going on in South Africa. So you mentioned the rates, you know, the C-section rates. A lot of women are actually having elective C-sections in mm-hmm. South Africa. A lot of it due to planning, you know, they want to control the delivery date. And a lot of this is based also on fear and fear mongering mm-hmm. by care providers. I mean, honestly, we are led to believe C-sections are safer and better. Natural birth. I mean, I heard, I've heard on a couple of occasions, women saying, oh, if you have a natural birth, you could, you know, really cause some brain damage to your child. Like, honestly, this oh. is... Culture and this is, and I'm I'm not even kidding. These are the conversations that I've been like I've been hearing, and there's just so much misinformation about natural birth. And because we've perpetuated this culture of fear, it's it's just it's taking over. So you know, it's 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 being overused. It's being overprescribed for sure. I mean, elective C sections are even they're offered routinely to women to mothers in their their OB appointments. And a lot of this has got to do, especially with the insurance environment that OBs are working in. And I'm I'm referring to the medical legal costs, which are extremely high in South Africa, if you're in the private sector. And this is definitely having a big influence on the intrapartum decision-taking. And there's even so many OBs who are going out of practice and only offering gynecological services, not even, you know, deliveries. Mm. Mm-hmm. And another big problem is there's such a lack of properly trained staff. So there's a huge shortage of trained and qualified midwives in South Africa. And laboring patients in the hospital, they're often cared for just by general nursing staff, not qualified midwives. And, you know, the OBs are getting so scared because of the high level of litigation that they are covering every base, they're doing every test. I mean, just to give you an idea, like in my first pregnancy that was led by an OB, I had about 12 to 14 ultrasounds, 12 to 14. With my midwife, I had about five or six. Just to give you an idea, I mean, of how, how they are just putting everything on record. They don't want to miss a thing, miss a beat. I mean, they even are doing, it's standard now to have a, a test for gestational diabetes or any history of diabetes. So it's really, really interesting what's going on, I have to say. And, you know, a lot of the gynees, or I know you call them OBs, sorry, we call them gynees, but... Um, it's okay, they're gynecologists too. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, a lot of them, even though they themselves are pro-natural birth, they are operating in hospitals that have stringent protocols in place that are saying... And, the hospital that I gave birth in the first time, I heard via the grapevine, are no longer doing natural births. They are not. They will not. They are only doing C-sections. I don't know how they are sweet, but this is what I've heard when I've been digging around. So what's happening is, you know, we talk a lot about interventions during birth and this cascade of interventions, but there's also a lot of interventions that are happening during pregnancy leading up to the birth. And I'm talking the kind of things that start to play on your emotions and like almost playing mind games with you. They really are. And 
I mean, I myself know that I am, like I said, it was a typical case. My gynae was so pro-natural. Everything was cool. Nothing was wrong the whole pregnancy. And then the bait and switch started. That's what we call it, the bait and switch. You know, started hearing things like the placenta is calcifying, baby's not moving or descending. There's no signs of labor. I mean, again, routinely now, women are having internals done at 37 weeks pregnant. Something I didn't know at the time. That this is, is that an I internal think. ultrasound? No, just a... Oh, um, a cervical exam. Cervical exam, yeah. Okay. And, and of course, at that stage, I mean, do you expect any cervical changes at 37 weeks? Not really. You're not full term, you know, you're not full term. So those things start to discourage you. Like, oh, no, nothing is happening. And, oh, maybe I'm not going to go into labor or things are not right. And, you know... we've seen it, um, I've heard this in so many different forms where they say, you know, giving birth is like like making love, you know, for a woman. It's like the feeling that she has to feel and that state of being she has to be in physiologically, mind, body, soul, to kind of relax and, and give in and let her body just be. And when your mind is being played with in such a way, you can't get there. You cannot get there. And, and, that's, and that's exactly what happened to me. My body, I know, didn't do what it needed to do because it didn't feel safe to do so. It didn't feel safe. Mm-hmm. I'm very afraid. Mm-hmm. And I know that this is happening to so many women. And it's, it's, quite a, it's quite a thing, I have to say, that's going on here. It's really, really quite a thing. It's so interesting. It reminds me so much of Brazil. Like, I mean, in different mm-hmm. ways, like they have different reasons why they do C-sections there. Cause that's actually like a sign of wealth, but which is crazy, right? It's a sign of wealth to have a C-section in Brazil from what we've been told. Um, it's so crazy. Yeah, well, of privilege and like, well-being, like you have enough mm-hmm. money for people to be able to take care of you. So you don't need to bother by having, having uh, going through all of the trouble of having a vaginal birth. It's just a cultural mindset yeah 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 it's just shit (laughs) Shit. (laughs) Um, it's just it's so it's fascinating to me it really is and like you said like I like I wonder how these docs are getting away with just scheduling c-sections especially even you know for first-time moms that have no previous c-sections it's it's just heartening to hear and hopefully like I said we'll come around and one day here we'll we'll see a shift in the medical system. I really hope so. And, you know, I think that is, is why, you know, I mean, a VBAC is, is not a common thing in South Africa because really, as you said in the beginning, you, you're kind of working against the system. You really, you're working against it. But, you know, as with any system, there are, they are cracks in the system and you've got to find them and you've got to work around them and you've got to fight to get the birth experience that you want because, the odds are not in your favor, unfortunately. But I think the more women who push for it and who fight for it, then the more we can normalize natural birth in this country. Yep. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you are going to be a bigger impact than you even know in your community. And I'm so grateful that all the people in your community have you. And we're so grateful for your story. And I'm hopeful that 
people will listen to this and feel like they can find the tools that they need to get the birth that they deserve and that they want. Yeah, absolutely love that. We appreciate you for sharing your story. It was incredible and we love the journey and my goodness, all the way around the world in South South (laughs) Africa. It's incredible. We appreciate you for being here with us today. Thank you so much. This is great. Would you like to be a guest on the podcast? Tell us about your experience at the vbacklink.com slash share. For more information on all things VBAC, including online and in-person VBAC classes, the VBAC blog, and Julian Megan's bios, head over to the vbacklink.com. Congratulations on starting your journey of learning and discovery with the VBAC link.